Hello and welcome. As you uh, probably noticed from the title of this episode, this is episode one of the Pali literature uh, portion of the Buddhist book series. For those who've been following along up till now, um, we did 16 parts of the Lotus Sutra, and I couldn't, I just couldn't anymore. Um, I, I missed, I missed the, uh, the Pali Sutras and the Theravada. And as this book says, the Hinayana, <sighs> you know, I could compare it to something else, but then I'd probably offend someone. Um, it's like, you know, publishing a book on African-American uh, history, but using a slur in the title. Hinayana means little vehicle, um, which those of you who've been following along, that refers to the deer vehicle in the, uh, the, the Lotus Sutra, which is talking about everything that came before 200 Common Era, putting that into a category of little vehicle. And then this new idea that someone had... Uh, called Mahayana, the great vehicle. You see what I mean? So it's, 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 we're not going to be calling it Hinayana, but this is sort of a, a scholarly look at the Pali Sutras by a guy named K.R. Norman. So, and I think this is a little bit old. So one of the things we're going to be doing, I skipped over this. We went directly from Dhammapada to Lotus Sutra because I thought this would be boring. And maybe it will be. But I will uh, do my best to keep it entertaining. I will entertain you and I will entertain myself. Basically, this, this Buddhist book series was, was becoming the angry white guy in a Buddhist monk's robe talks shit about the, Lotus, about the sutras show. And that's just not who I want to be, you know? That's not who I uh, aspire to be. It's not who I see myself as. It's not who I aspired to be as a young boy, you know? So, oh, this, uh, this show's brought to you by uh, the devil, of course. Um, anyway, so I got a little bit tired of reading about all the reasons I was going to the Avicii Hells for not uh, thinking the Lotus Sutra was coming straight out of the mouth of... God or in the mouth of the Buddha in this case. Lord Buddha, we missed you. I missed you, anyway. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show. We're going to be reading about your teachings again. All right, that's enough about that. Now, um, what I'm going to do is temporarily remove the Lotus Sutra uh, recitals from the playlist. So if this is your first time seeing me, click here. That will take you to the playlist. I recommend starting with episode one of Dhammapada, so you can have a nice, you know, three hours, six episodes, half hour each approximately, of just straight reading of Dhammapada, sort of the most popular of the old, the old scriptures, the, the original Buddhist scriptures. This is not actually the Buddhist scriptures, but it's talking about the Buddhist scriptures. And as we go, I will um, see if I can find... Uh, I, I, I don't really want to read off of a screen or print out a lot of pages. So I'll see if I can find English translations of the, uh, the documents that we learn about from Norman. Um, 
And then as a follow-up to the Pali literature portion of the Buddhist book series, uh, we'll, I'll recite directly whatever documents I can dig up. Because, you know, here it'll say, in the such-and-such such document, it gives the 215 rules for nuns. And it's like, okay, well, what are they? You know, I mean, it, it sounds a little bit like reading Deuteronomy or Leviticus, but I'd rather read... Deuteronomy and Leviticus of like Theravada Buddhism then then keep reading the Lotus Sutra at this point. And then eventually <clears throat> once we've exhausted all the Pali Sutras and or the Pali uh, you know uh, documents I don't know if they're called sutras the canonical canonical literature of uh, the Prakrit and Sanskrit um, schools of all of Hinayana Buddhism according to the title once we've exhausted all of that, then I'll pick up where I left off with the Lotus Sutra. Then I'll insert those 16 episodes of Lotus Sutra back into the playlist. And then we'll start with episode 17 of the Lotus Sutra. Just for those of you who've been following along, just so you know what's going on. For those of you who started at the beginning, you're probably totally confused, <clears throat> among other things, by the fact that we're in a different room. Uh, we were in Goa before, and now we're in New Delhi. So I'll, uh, I'll jump right in. <clears throat> Here, I'll move this so you can see. Yes, 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 yes. All right. Sorry about all the noise. I am not going to edit that out, so I apologize to your ears, especially those of you wearing headphones. All right. Chapter 1. The Pali Language and the Theravadan Tradition. The name Pali. The dialect of Middle Indo-Aryan, which is found in the texts of the Theravadan Buddhists and usually called Pali by European scholars, is nowhere so called in the Theravadan canon. The word Pali is found in the chronicles and the commentaries upon the canon, but there it has the meaning canon and is used in the sense of the canonical text or phrase as opposed to the commentary. Oh boy, got some some Sanskrit or or, or Pali. The Uthahata. I, I'll do my best. Again, as I mentioned in episode one of this series, I am from California and I not good with Sanskrit, but I, I, will, I will try, uh, as opposed to the commentary upon it. Okay, so there's the, the, the texts, and then there's the commentary. Uh, but So in the commentary, they refer to the Pali texts, but they're saying canonical. They're not saying the name of a language. So, common misnomer. This usage is made clear by the fact that the word Pali sometimes alternates with tanti, should we do footnotes? No. It would, soon, it would seem that the name Pali is based upon a misunderstanding of the compound Pali Basa, or language of the canon, where the word Pali was taken to stand for the name of a particular Basa as a result of oh, canon language. Okay, so Pali language means canon language, but it doesn't mean the, that there is a language called Pali. Good to know, right? You're already learning. 
I'm learning too. I, I read this already. What was happening was I read, I read like, I don't know, 15 pages of this. And uh, sometimes like this dry textbook kind of stuff, you know, kind of makes me a little bit sleepy. But uh, I think that if I do it this way, we'll be able to get through it if we chug along and, and uh, you'll go along with me. Um, so that's fun. As a result of which, the word was applied to the language of both canon and commentaries. This was before Sanskrit got popular. Can you imagine? Um, there is evidence that this misunderstanding occurred several centuries ago, speaking in present time or whenever this book was written, which was probably a while ago, uh, about 50 years ago, or at least the, the intro is 50 years ago. I don't know if the, the rest of it is, does it say? I won't spend a lot of time searching, but... Um, uh, first published in 1983, but the foreword was written in 1975. Hmm. Weird. Okay. Okay. Is that 50 years? No. That's like 40 years. Barely. 39 years ago. Um, I'm speaking to you from 2022, for those of you who are in the future, from my perspective. Anyway, uh, Childers, Childers stated that the English usage was taken from Sinhalese, who used the word in the same way. This probably accounts for Kloch's adaption of the name when he published his grammar in 1824. Bernolf and Lawson also used the name Polly in their way on Polygrammar, which was published in 1826. But in the survey of Polly studies up to that year, included in that work, Burnoff pointed out that the first person to mention Polly was Simon de la Louvre, who visited Siam in 1687 and 1688 and published a description of the kingdom of Siam in 1691, which was translated into English in 1693. It is clear. Wow, that's interesting. I didn't realize that people were reading about Buddhism as early as 1693 in English. Hmm. Learn something every day, right? Huh. So the, uh, like George Washington and his generation might have been familiar with the Pali Sutras. All right, all right. Add that to the old noodle. Um, it is clear from the account that in Thailand in the late 17th century, the name Pali was already being used of the language of the Theravadan texts. So basically for the past like 400 years minimum or like 300 and some odd years, uh, there's been this misunderstanding that there's a language called Pali, but Pali just means canon and Pali language means canon language, because they didn't know the name of the language. Cool. So they just call it Pali. All right. The language of the region at that time, which was about 600, probably four to 600 BC, BCE or BCE, depending, BCE or BC, depending on which way you swing on that. All right. Uh-huh. La Louvre noted that, see, my French is a bit better than my Sanskrit, uh, noted that in contrast to Thai, 
which was a monosyllable language. Bali, or B-A-L-Y, was inflected, just like the languages of Europe. He also drew attention to the fact that the names for the days of the week were similar in Pali and Sanskrit, and reported that he had been told that there were similarities between Pali and the language spoken near Coromandel. Probably people outside of the United States are familiar with geography and are laughing at me right now for saying that as if it were the first time I had ever seen the word, which it is, even though I've read this part before. See, my mind was kind of like, probably somewhere else. So you're helping me stay focused, so thank you. All right. He uh, commented that this was not surprising in view of the fact that the Buddha was reported to have been the son of a king of Kalon. See, it's like interesting. It's like something very different from, from just straight reading of the Dhammapada or the Lotus Sutra. It's like the history of the introduction of Buddhism to the English language and the West and like clarifying the misunderstandings that became commonplace because of who exactly made what mistakes. Huh, you know, it's like Buddhism related. It's, it's, it's refreshing to read something other than the Lotus Sutra on here. I really hated who I was becoming on this channel. Mm. All right. Let's keep going, shall we? The Sasanavasas, the Sasanavamsa, written in Burma in 1861, uses the word Pali in a context where it seems to be the name of a language. Since the Sasanavamsa is based upon an earlier Burmese text, the usage of the name Pali in Burma is probably earlier than would appear. Hey, Edward, I'm talking to myself. Hey, Edward, uh, see if you can find an English translation of the Sasanavamsa. We can read it before we get to the Lotus Sutra again. As many books as we can find that we can stick in there will we'll prolong my happiness. <clears throat> I really don't namyoho renge-kyo, guys. I thought I did. It's fun to chant with people, but uh, as we learned uh, from that movie, The Burbs... I'm not going to listen to this. Ray, you're chanting. I'm not going to Ray. hear this now. I'm not Ray, look. Going to Ray. Listen to this. Unconscious I'm chanting. You're chanting. I want to kill everyone. Satan is good. Satan is our pal. See, you know, I mean, chanting with a group is fun, but it's important what you're chanting. Namyoho Renge Kyo is like, my heart is in the Lotus Sutra. I used to chant that with a group twice, two different groups. Why, why do I chant something that I haven't researched? You know, like, I really like, uh, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey, I, you know, without seeing, even seeing the movie, you know, like it. It's a silly thing. All right, moving along. We'll try to minimize the silliness. Too much levity. All right. Mm -hmm. Since the Sasanavamsa right, the usage of the name Pali in Burma is probably earlier than would appear. Objects in Burma are closer than they, like the mirror, objects in mirror, never mind. Uh, it seems unlikely that the usage arose independently in all of those countries, but 
In the present state of our knowledge, it does not seem possible to determine where the misunderstanding first occurred. Okay, so the Burmese had it wrong. It wasn't just La Louvre and uh, uh, some British guys that screwed it up. Okay, part two of chapter one, entitled The History and Development of the Pali Language, meaning the canon language, right? Okay, the commentaries state that the language spoken by the Buddha, which is the language of the canon, is Magidi, and that's M-A-G-I-D-H-I. So, I mean, I don't know how it was back then or in that language, but in Sanskrit, or in Hindi anyway, there's like D and T, and D and T. I'm learning. I'm trying. I should try harder. I haven't been doing my Rosetta Stone half an hour every day. I'll get back to that. Hey, Edward, get back to that. Um, so, Magidhi, not Magidi, Magidhi. So, the Magidhi uh, language. The, the Pali scriptures, the Magidhi scriptures, if you want to say the name of the language it's written in. The canonical scriptures written in the Magidhi language is more accurate than saying the scriptures written in the language Pali, because that's apparently just incorrect. But it's a common misnomer and has been for hundreds of years. Cool. We learned something. Useful information. Not just repeating the same BS over and over and then saying you're going to go to hell if you don't buy it. It's refreshing, isn't it? <sighs> like a nice cool breeze. All right. Mm -hmm. This is referred to as the metabhasa, the root language of all languages, and the language which a child would speak naturally if it heard no other language spoken. Now, obviously, that's probably not true, but it's kind of sweet to imagine that at one time people thought that. I'm okay with that, right? It's like a different sort of thing than like lying about what the Buddha said 800 years afterward. And then I'll stop. <clears throat> An examination of the Pali language shows clearly that portions, at least, of it were either composed or transmitted through one or more other dialects of Middle Indo-Aryan. <clears throat> so for those a little bit unfamiliar, Aryan doesn't mean what they tell you in prison in the U.S. that it means or, you know, whatnot. Um, there's sort of a post-World War II, you know, post and during World War II misunderstanding um, that is actually kind of related to the, the Aryans that they're talking about, but in a weird thin thread kind of way, not a real way, a fake way, an invented way. Um, by one author who decided that uh, that somehow the Germanic people were connected to the Aryans that that they talk about in India, which they're not. Um, the the ancient Aryans came from the region which we now call basically Iran. Uh, they were basically pre-Persian Persians, and they were the ones that had the language called Sanskrit and the uh, the Rig Veda and like the early texts that became the Vedas. And they came in around like 5,000 years ago into India. And there's still people that are upset about it. <clears throat> if you go really far down south, the people with the darker skin in India, the languages that they speak are derived from Dravidian, which is kind of the original language of 
the land that we call India in the Indus River Valley civilization, which was like in the northwest part of India, there are engraved uh, Dravidian language from thousands of years ago. And uh, so that apparently was the, the, the lingua franca, if you will, um, <clears throat> of, of what we now, you know, term India, even though those borders were drawn by, you know, foreign invaders and what have you. Um, so yeah, so that's what they're talking about. Indo-Aryan means uh, Sanskrit, basically, or proto-Sanskrit, or like related to Sanskrit, or the language that was uh, brought in from ancient Persia mixed with uh, the native Indian languages of that time. Indo-Aryan, right? Okay. Okay, where were we? <clears throat> Before being turned, okay, so the, the, the dialects of Middle Indo-Aryan uh, before being turned into the version which exists, and I should say that uh, what that whole explanation that I just gave is not 100% accepted by everybody. There are people who will jump down the throat of someone who states it as a fact on YouTube. Uh, fortunately, I am not actually very popular on YouTube, so I, I don't think I have to worry too much about that. But just in case in the future uh, these, th these recitals do become popular, I, I felt I should put that disclaimer out there. The Aryan invasion is a theory. Not a fact, but it's a pretty, like, there's a lot of evidence. Okay. <clears throat> Where were we? Uh, <laughs> which exists at present, before being turned into the version which exists at present. Let me start over with that sentence because I interrupted it twice. An examination of the Pali Canon shows clearly that portions, at least of it, were either composed or transmitted through one or more other dialects of Middle Indo-Aryan. I'm not sure what the middle part means, but we'll look it up later. Before being turned into the version which exists at present. Okay. So things like the Dhammapada went through a few translations, like even way back in the day, before, long before the English version. It can be shown that these dialects included those where the voicing of the intervocalic consonants took place, or the redundant the the reduction to y or r became l. Some of the poly material came from or through dialects where the absolutive was in eta, like the suffix eta, absolutive. The nominative singular, I read as if I had any idea what this meant. Um, you know, I learned it like everyone did back in school, but I'm like, okay, absolutive, nominative, the, what is this, Latin? Um, singular in, uh, in e, the suffix e, or the locative plural in ehi, the suffix ehi. It is clear, therefore, that the statement that the canon is one dialect, whether Magidi or anything else, Magadi, Magadi, or anything else, cannot be true of all of it. What we know of Magadi uh, as described by the grammarians in later times, however, enables us to say that Pali is not Magidi. All right, all right. Maybe all that'll make sense later. And although we have no direct evidence about the characteristics of Magidi in the centuries before 
Ashoka. Oh, okay. A King Ashoka, he came about 300 years after the Buddha walked the earth, maybe three and a half hundred years. So the language that the original scriptures was written in that was commonly misunderstood to be Pali, but uh, Pali just turns out to be canonical, is different from the language that they were speaking at the time of Buddha in the region he came from, which was Magadhi. So it had already been translated before the earliest copies. Okay. Check. Got it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Just another sigh of relief that we're not reading the Lotus Sutra. Anyway, we can uh, deduce with some certainty that Pali does not agree with that either. All right. It would seem likely that because of the text, because the texts tell of the Buddha at times preaching in Mag Magadhi, although none of the scenes of the great events in his life was situated within the boundaries of Mag Magadha, as we know it in historical times. Okay. The tradition arose that all his sermons were preached in the dialect of that region of North India. It is also possible that the prestige attaching to Magadhi and the and by implication to Magadhi, Magadha and Magadhi, excuse me, the prestige attaching to Magadha and by implication Magadhi during the time of the Mauryan kings. Time to check out one of those YouTubes going through all the different eras and kings of India. Oh my God, there's a lot. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, the text is very small, so it's really easy to lose my place. During the time of the Mauryan kings. And also the way in which the Magadhi of the original Ashokan edicts was everywhere in India translated into the local dialect or language led to the taking over by the Buddhists. At about the time of the council, which the Theravadan tradition reports, was held during the reign of Ashoka. Ashoka, uh, we mentioned him. I, these things will become clear with time if they're not already clear. Um, <clears throat> if the idea that their ruler, too, employed such a language. Although there is some doubt about the interpretation of the phrase the Buddha used when asked if it was permissible to translate his sermons, it is generally agreed that he did not preach in Sanskrit, but employed the dialect or language of the area where he was preaching. He was multilingual. Cool. We must assume that his sermons and utterances were remembered by his followers and his audiences as they heard them. In the course of time, during his lifetime and after his death, collections must have been made of his words and translations or redactions of these must have been made as the need arose, either because the collections were being taken into an area where a different dialect or language was spoken or because at the time or as time went by, his words became less intelligible as their language became more archaic. Right? That happens. It happened with Latin, right? So they translated the Bible into German, right? And then English. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we're diving into the Pali canon. Um, 
for, for, for one thing, there's so many stories about, oh, when the Buddha went to this region, there was one time where this happened and Ananda did this. And then, you know, uh, Shariputra said this and, and, you know, skipping over all of this and, and arriving at the Lotus Sutra where we can guarantee and put seriously good money on the fact that none of the words that are coming out of the Lotus Buddha's mouth were thought or spoken by the Buddha and that the Shariputra in the story is no way resembles Shariputra. And if they talk about him going anywhere, I mean, he's talking, you know, he's from the lion throne or something like, I, really? Um, uh, I, I, you know, these, we, we get to actually find out some of the stories, some of the histories, because there were, there were real things, real stories, like, uh, you know, they would travel, they wouldn't spend too much time in one area unless there, it was monsoon season. So during monsoon season, they would have to, you know, find a place to stay during the storms and stuff like that. And I, I want to know about that stuff. Like, you know, I don't want to skip over a real Buddha and 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 spend, you know, five years hearing about hearing from Mahayana Buddha. Um, again, another sigh of relief. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'll read one last sentence. We're approaching 30 minutes, and I want to show you a couple clips at the end, you know, just in honor of getting back to the source. I'll show you some clips from Lumini, maybe some still images. I don't know. I haven't edited it yet. Um, so, all right. As Buddhism became established in various parts of North India, there must have been an attempt made to render all the holdings of any particular vihara, which were probably still in various dialects as they had been remembered, roughly homogeneous in language, although we must bear in mind the fact that as the dialects of North India had probably not diverged greatly from each other in the 4th and 3rd centuries BC, absolute perfection of the translation was not essential. The anomalous forms in Pali mentioned above probably represented the remnants of recensions in other dialects, which had not been completely translated. I'd rather be bored than infuriated. If you are familiar with the tone scale, boredom is above anger, right? I think boredom might even be the... <clears throat> I forget if it's the bottom of the plus emotions or the top of the minus emotions. But anyway, comment below if you have any idea what I'm talking about. Because I don't feel like Googling it. Thank you all for joining me on this, the debut episode of this new chapter in the Buddhist book series. And uh, we will come back to that other one. But I might have gray hair by then because we got a lot to read before we get back to the, uh, the second century common era. Talking about Ashok, oh, so refreshing to be back in the third and fourth centuries BCE. Thank you, Lord Buddha, the real one, for everything you did, for your teachings and for your perseverance sitting under that tree and uh, deciding to teach and everything. Okay. Um, after the prayer, uh, we will, we'll, I'll show you, we, I'll, I will show you um, just a few clips of Lumbini. 
I'll show off a, a picture of me meditating there and, uh, you know, for my, my ego and my vanity, all these Buddhist things. And, uh, and we'll pick up where we left off next time. All right. Such a different tone <laughs> than <laughs> that previous uh, episode 16 of the Lotus Sutra, right? And in the next one, we'll just stop talking about that stuff and just kind of stick to this stuff. I mean, we'll see. I, I don't like making rules for myself. I'll talk about what I talk about. But uh, generally speaking, you know, in this one, since it's the debut transition, whatever, um, you know, I had to mention it a little bit. <clears throat> okay. To the north and to the south, to the east and to the west, to the spirits of light among us and to the spirits below, we send out our reverent love and compassion. May all beings be happy. May all beings be serene. May all beings be in peace. Until next time, as promised, here are some images from Lumbini, the birthplace of Lord Buddha. Yeah.